If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to continue to be in the book of Jeremiah. So we find Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, and then Jeremiah. So, but uh, we're in Jeremiah 38, so we're really trucking along. So I just want to give you a quick recap of where we're at. Uh, Jeremiah had been told to tell the nation that uh, judgment was coming and that God was going to judge them and that they needed to just surrender and they needed to let them be taken into captivity because there was nothing they could do at this point to defeat the enemy. And Jeremiah has preached and preached and preached. Um, we know that the enemy army had surrounded uh, Jerusalem. They had left for a time to go fight the Egyptians, but they are coming back. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we looked there about how God said that if there was only one enemy soldier who was wounded, they still could not even beat him because God had sent this judgment. And so Jeremiah had continued to preach. He had been thrown in prison on false charges, if you remember. He had went out to check the land, and they accused him of being a deserter. And so they had thrown him in jail. Uh, lots of things had gone on here, if you look back in chapter 37. But here in chapter 38, we are uh, quickly coming to the end of this um, message that judgment's coming, and judgment is here. And so tonight, if you, uh, you have that paperwork that I gave you, it's, you can throw it, you can make a paper airplane and throw it at someone, you can do what you want with it. But tonight I want to really look at this theme of how um, weakness um, leads to ruin. And in our lives there are so many things, whether it is standing for our faith, whether it is in our home, whether it is in our church, uh, whether it is in our community, uh, we have to know what we believe and why and be willing to stand on that no matter what it cost. And Jeremiah was willing to do that. But what we see here is that the king was not. The king it talks about in here was weak. And weak leadership is very dangerous. Weak leadership is dangerous at home. Weak leadership is dangerous at church. Weak leadership is dangerous everywhere. And if you've ever had a job and had a boss that was a very poor leader, you understand how that is. And church is different than the secular world. It's different than the national world. It is, it is a unique thing because truly the only authority that we have in the church is what God's Word gives us, right? You can have an opinion on anything you want. It can be as wrong, it can be as weird, but when it comes to the things of God, there has to be a standard. And that is all based on the Word of God. And so tonight I want to just help you to go from being a weak leader to a leader that is basing their life on the Word of God. Because some leaders are just jerks, right? They might know exactly how to lead, but they are grade A jerks, all right? And then there are other leaders who are extremely nice and knowledgeable, but get ran all over. And then there are some people who started out being good leaders, but then as time goes on, they just get beat down and it's like, what does it matter? And so all of those cycles, I want to show you tonight. And so if you have that paper in front of you tonight, that blank is weakness. And I don't have an actual copy like you do. So if someone could read 
Oh, thank you, sir. I just got the answers. And so, um, weakness will keep you from standing for what is right. Weakness will keep you from standing for what is right. And so let's just jump right in here in verses 1 through 6. Now, Sheftatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pashur, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, the son of Malchakiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, the city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore the princes said to the king, Please, let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city, and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of the people, but their harm. Listen to what it says in verse 5. Then Zedekiah the king said, Look, he is in your hand. And don't miss this, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon there was no water but myrrh. Mire, excuse me. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. So I want you to think about this. Jeremiah has been preaching what God said. The leaders of that day, the national leaders, had heard what he said and they came to the king. Now, if you're aware of the Old Testament, the king was the most powerful. It was not a democracy. He was in charge. And they say that Jeremiah is destroying the morale of the people. He's talking about judgment. He's talking about destruction. We need to do something to him. And so the king says what? And look there in verse, excuse me, verse 5. He is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. He literally says, there's nothing I can do to stop you. I'm not going to stop you. Do what you want. You see, in that moment, Zedekiah had a choice. He could have said, no, I don't agree with Jeremiah, but Jeremiah is doing what God said to do. I'm going to support Jeremiah because I think he is the man that God has called him to be. But if you remember in the New Testament, there was another leader who washed his hands in a certain situation. Any remembrance of who that was? Yeah, right. And, And who was on trial there? Right, and he does what? He washes his hands because who had warned him? His wife, right? And do what you must. And so we see this idea. And how many times have we all been guilty of this? Now, I want to say something. I have people all the time tell me, I don't let anyone push me around. 
I do what I want, when I want, and then people are liars, okay? I have other people who come to me and say, I always tell people what I think. I don't care what the consequences are. I'm never shy to tell people what I think. And what I usually think is, boy, I bet you get in a lot of trouble. Because there's a difference between leading and dominating people. There's a difference between leading people and walking all over people. There's a difference in our marriage, right? The Bible says that the husband is the head of the home. There's no, there's no I, don't, I don't understand how there's an debate in the church about it, but there is. But yet it tells the husband to love their wife like what? Christ loves the church. And so a husband that is abusive and dominating and demeaning to his wife, it's not scriptural. But on the other spectrum of that, right, we see the fact that the church has uh, just totally taken their hands off that topic because it is so difficult and controversial. And so there is a hands-off approach where a husband says, I don't, I don't want no part of any of this. And then there's the other extreme where a husband treats his wife like a possession instead of a person. And in the middle, there is a biblical approach that teaches uh, leadership and love. It's the same way at church. I know pastors that are good pastors. They've got good ideas, but they treat people like dirt. And then I know other pastors who are so nice and kind and long-suffering, but yet they let people walk all over them, right? It doesn't matter, well, I, I would do that, but the deacons, they won't. Or I'd do that, but the trustees, or I'd do that, but the underwater basket weaving committee really has got some authority. And so there's two extremes when there's another middle approach that says we lead by example, we lead by the authority of God's Word, but yet we also extend mercy and grace. It's the same way in politics. It's the same way with our last president, right? I agreed with the things that he did. I could not stand the things that he said, right? There is leadership and most of the problems were what? from what he said. Now, this one likes to say the right things and does the opposite, the things I don't like. And so, but I want you to see tonight, though, that leadership, being weak in these areas, is effective in every area of your life. And so the question is, are you willing to stand for what is right? As a father with... Um, uh, six daughters. Uh, my kids are still young. At this point, I can still tell them to do what I want, and they do what I want, right? They're little. But there's coming probably in the next five years some more uh, independence that they will want, right? There are more arguments that aren't going to be, yes, Dad, it will be, but why? Why should I do that? And, you know, I'm not above spanking my kids till they are leaving the house. That does not bother me at all, okay? But there have to be battles that are fought and some battles that what? Shouldn't be fought. It's kind of like the old saying, not every hill is worth what? Dying on. You have to know when the Bible says something, when you take a stand on something, when you are compassionate, when you are willing to compromise. And it cannot be about the things that God has said. And what Zedekiah does is he just takes his hands off and says, I can't stop you. 
You guys do what you can do. And so thoughts about that. We've all been led by someone or led somebody and probably have many examples of people who did it well or poorly. And, and so thoughts. Yeah. It's not very good leadership, is it? Just, and you can answer this or you don't have to. Where do you think it is the easiest to allow weakness to affect your decision? People you don't know or people you do know? Absolutely. Amen. Because when it's your home, it's so much harder, isn't it? When it's the fact that, you, you know, and this is not a biblical quote, but, you know, I, 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 years ago I loved to watch Everyone Loves Raymond. And, uh, and uh, Ray Barone talking about marriage one time. You've heard me use this quote, and I'll use it again because my wife's not here, but she'll watch it later. So, um, you know, Frank Barone said, there was a day in my life when that still small voice kept telling me no. No. And I said yes anyway, and now I live with a great big voice every single day. And uh, if you've ever seen Frank and Marie, you know why that was, but uh, a little more than just the dripping in the book of Proverbs. But, but that identity, right? You know, at home, I know that we shouldn't do this as a family, but what's it going to be like? What are the consequences going to be when I get home? I know my kids shouldn't go there, but how many battles do you pick? And so what, what do you think, if you don't mind sharing, has been one of the times that this has been the hardest for you where you have succeeded and maybe a time when you tried and you look back and think, I wish I would have handled that more heavy-handed or with less heavy-handedness. But what we see here is that weakness will keep you from standing for what is right. And so the second thing I want to show you here is, though, that that real friends will not abandon you in the pit. Now, don't miss that. Real friends will not abandon you in the pit. Look what it says here in verses 7 through 13. Now, Adeb Malek, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs was who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin... Adeb Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil. Now, don't miss that statement. In all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is. For there is no more bread in the city. Now, let's just stop here for a second. This is not the kind of prison you're thinking of. This is most likely a cistern. Cistern? 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 Okay. That, yes, yeah. That had water in it, but because of the, um, the, uh, uh, the drought and because of the um, blockade, they probably would have um, dug up rivers and different things. And if you look at Jerusalem, uh, David had literally dug underground wells and waterways to avoid things like this. And so you would have had something that would have had mud and the muck at the bottom of it, and they drop him down in this. And so I baptized Marcy Kuniko on, for Saturday of last week, and we were in an old pond. And I went to get in with my sandals on, and I couldn't pick my feet up because I went down. And my sandals were covered in mud, and so I had to take them off and uh, go in there barefooted. And I figured with all the fishing that had been done in that pond, I was going to end up with a hook in my foot probably. 
but I didn't. And then she got in with swimming uh, shoes on and she went to turn around for her baptism and couldn't turn. And so, but you think about this idea, he probably would have sunk, I mean, I, I could guess up to his waist, maybe, maybe higher, maybe lower, we don't know. But what we see here is that Adeb Malek says Jeremiah is in a bad spot. There's no bread. And so it goes on and says in verse 10, Then the king commanded Adeb Malek the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here thirty men with you, and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Adeb Malek took the man with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Adeb Malek the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. I don't want you to miss that. I am guessing when they put Jeremiah in the hole, they weren't very cautious. They weren't very careful, right? I can't imagine what it would have done to drop you down in there, wrapped up, probably being raw and, and chafed and, and all whatever it would have been like, right? But this man didn't just care about getting Jeremiah out of the pit. He cared about how he got him out as well. And so many times in our Christian walk, we will have friends that stumble and we will stumble. And so any Christian who says they have no sin, the Bible says, what about them? The truth of God is not in them. And so they are not a Christian. Okay, You just cannot be a born-again believer, have the Spirit of God in you, and not recognize that you struggle with sin. You just can't. But what we see here is he says, put these under your armpits, under the ropes, so that when they start to yank him, 30 men strong, that it doesn't just tear him to pieces. And so that's why the Bible says that we are to go to our Christian brothers when they are struggling and stumbling in what? I can't hear, remember, I got one bad ear. Love. I've had lots of Christians to come to me and tell me a lot of my faults. And about 10% of the time it's done in love. You know what happens when you tell someone what they're doing wrong and it's not in love? You know the reaction that usually happens? Anger, right? Defiance. If you do not have a relationship with someone, you are going to have a very hard time correcting them when they're wrong. That is why church is so important. Being here together, spending time together, we're going to be building a wheelchair ramp on Friday. And we could absolutely probably pay someone to build a better wheelchair ramp than we can build. Uh, probably build it faster than we could build it. But the camaraderie, did I say that word right? Yes. And the, yeah, the ability to work together and spend time together and get to know each other is so important because true, real friends will not abandon you in the pit. The Bible even talks about the blessings of bringing back a fellow Christian who has went astray, who is erring. And I don't know if you know this or not, but none of us likes to admit when we're wrong. If you tell me that you do, you're not true, okay? All of us, when we first do something wrong, 
we started in denial, right? I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have said that. Then we begin, hopefully as time goes on, to realize that we have made a mistake. And many times in my life, uh, we all have blind spots, right? I don't struggle with the same sins that you might struggle with, right? You, you might struggle with um, pride and someone else might struggle by just having so much guilt they can't ever view themselves as a useful child of God. You might struggle with your temper. Someone else might struggle with gossip. Someone else might struggle with uh, homosexuality. Someone else might struggle with uh, pornography. Someone else might struggle with drunkenness. And someone else might, you know, there's so many things. And all of us have blind spots. And the blind spots are what get us in trouble. And it's in those times that we need real friends who will not abandon us in the pit. Now, he didn't go to Jeremiah and say, I hope you're doing okay down there, right? I, I, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? No, he went one to the king, right? He went to the highest authority of the land, and he thought possibly he might end up in the same hole. I mean, if I'm friends with a guy that's in the hole, there's a good chance that I might what? End up in the hole. But he didn't anyway. And look what the king does as we see this weakness again from the king. The king says, sure, right, you take 30 men, drag him out of that prison. And so we see here the significance of people being there for us. That's why the Bible says that we are to love God and what? Love one another. And so I think this is very important tonight to know that there are sometimes you are at the pulling end of the rope and sometimes you are at the end of the rope that is being what? Pulled. And um, that doesn't mean that Jeremiah probably didn't still stink. <laughs> There's probably doesn't mean that Jeremiah wasn't in pain and, and, and problems from the hole, but yet God used someone else who did what? Interceded on his behalf. <clears throat> That's why the Apostle Paul over and over again asked them to what? Pray for him. To pray for him. And so I just think that's very important that real friends will not abandon you in the pit. I think that's true about marriage. I think that you don't abandon ship when the ship is being battered. I believe that's the problem with most pastors. I believe most pastors jump ship when it gets tough. And instead of staying and weathering the storm, and I can be the first one to admit that three months ago I was jumping ship, right? I was going to do anything else in this old world that didn't have to deal with you people. No offense, right? But, uh, but I'm glad some days, no, I'm glad that, that the Lord said no, because it is so easy to abandon ship. And so I always tell people, Never make an important decision without giving it two weeks. Think about it for two weeks before you do anything. Because so many times when we're in the pit, we make terrible decisions. But we do not know how close we are to God using someone else to throw us a rope. So we've looked here that weakness will keep you from standing for what is right. 
Real friends will not abandon you in the pit. And the third one is having a desire to hear from God is not the same thing as obeying God. Having a desire to hear from God is not the same thing as obeying God. Look what it says here in verses 14 through 18. Then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something, hide nothing from me. I don't know if anybody else knows the significance of this statement, but right, he has continued to persecute Jeremiah for just telling him the truth. And he drags him, lets him be dragged out of this hole and comes and asks him the same stinking thing. I will ask you something, hide nothing from me. If you're Jeremiah, you're thinking, I don't want to go back in the hole. <laughs> but look to what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. He tells them the choice is before you. And if you look in the original language, it's written like that as well, that this choice is presented, option A, option B. And so Jer King Zedekiah has a desire to hear from God. He wants to know what it's going to take for God to save this city. But desire does not mean obedience, right? I want to be skinny, but I am not willing to do what it takes to be skinny, right? Many people want a better relationship in their marriage, but will not do what it takes to have a better marriage. Most people want a strong and healthy church, but have no desire to do what it takes to have a strong and healthy church. And so many times I sit across from people. Let's just use alcohol because that's a, a big one right now with a, a few people I'm trying to help. I know that it does not do any good for me, right? Makes me angry, causes me to say things that I shouldn't say, causes me to look at things that I shouldn't look at. Quit. Don't go to the places where it is. No, I have a desire not to do it, but I'm still going to go to the same places that I've always gone. And guess what always happens? Same pattern. The desire, I believe, is genuinely there. But there is no obedience. And so King Zedekiah shows us here, for on whatever level it is, whether it is he cared about God, whether it is he cared about the city, whether it is he cared about his reputation... He says, I want to hear from God. But he didn't like what he heard. And 
I think it fits the same pattern throughout this whole book, right? I want what God has to say. I want what God has to say until God says what I don't want to hear. And I don't know if that fits into anyone else today, but it can fit into all of us. Now, I know what you're thinking. The, the people that are living outside the church, the people that are living like the world, absolutely you see that from them. But you see it in our lives too. I see it in my own life. And so think about that tonight, that a desire for the things of God is no substitute for obedience. Thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, judgment is coming if you fight back or if you will surrender. Now, if I'm the king, that's a pretty hard proposition, right? You need to just surrender. I mean, I think almost all people, the tendency is either fight or flight, right? But he's saying, just give up. And so if I am Zedekiah, that's a hard pill to swallow. Because, right, we're the people of God. God has fought for us, well, all the way. The perceived people. But at this time, though, the Jewish people are the chosen people of God, right? And they still are the chosen people of God. But we know, though, that they were saved by believing in the coming Messiah, right? And we are saved believing in the Messiah. And so God has a special covenant with them. And he, they believe that because the temple is there, what? That it can't fall. They, 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 we've, God has taken us through, if you want to flip back, all the way back into uh, Joshua and you look in the Judges and First and Second Samuel and you just flip all the way through over and over again. You see how God intervened in His people and now you're telling me to surrender. That, that doesn't make sense. But yet, God tells us that in order to gain your life, you must lose it, right? That if you humble yourself, God will raise you up at the appropriate time. The Old Testament, they would quote, right, that eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and Jesus says, pray for those, right, who persecute you. Love your enemy. If you want to be first, you have to be, right, and Jesus even tells them, right, if you go to a banquet, don't go to the most prestigious seat, right, right next to the host. Sit as far as you can away because it's much better for someone to look at the end of the table and say, why are you way down there? Come up here and sit than to be sitting right here and someone say, what are you doing here? You go down there. <laughs> yeah, but we see here that he says that. And Jeremiah's message here is so consistent, right? It's not changing. It's the same message that he's been preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. And yet here it is. But I want to show you in verses 19 through 23, the fear of man will keep you from obeying God. The fear of man will keep you from obeying God. Because listen to the response in verses 19. And Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews. 
who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand, and they abuse me. But Jeremiah said, They shall not deliver you. Please, don't miss this, Obey the voice of the Lord which I speak to you. So it shall be well with you, and your soul shall live. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word that the Lord has shown me. Now behold all the women who are left in the kings of Judah's house shall be surrendered to the king of, the ba- of Babylon's princes. And those women shall say, Your close friends have set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet have sunk into the mire. Coincidence from what we just saw. And they have turned away again. That so they shall surrender all your wives and children to the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon. And don't miss this. And you shall cause this city to be burned with fire. Yeah. But he tells him right here, don't miss that. This is what he just told him is going to happen. One of two options. And he says the choice is yours. He even begs with him there. Did you hear that? Please obey the voice of the Lord. I think about Jesus looking out over the city of Jerusalem, right? How he wanted to gather them together, right? I think of the Apostle Paul writing, if it would be possible even for me to give up my salvation so that my brethren... I'm not going to lie, I have never once prayed, God, you can take my salvation away and save them. Not, I'm too terrified of what hell's going to be like. I, I love you. I pray for you, but I am nowhere where the Apostle Paul was. I've never prayed that. Lord, I haven't. But I think of that over and over again. And so I just want you to see here that he says what makes his decision in verse 19. And Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews. Now he had pretty good reason to be afraid of them. One... He didn't think he had any power. He just told him that earlier, didn't he? I ain't got no power over them. Two, he had just seen them throw Jeremiah in the pit. But what we see here is, and Dave almost touched on it a minute ago, the Jews of this time were so nationalistic, it wasn't about God, it was about the Jewish state. That's why they didn't want to surrender. It had nothing to do with God being defiled. It had all to do with this national identity of who they were instead of the fact that they were God's people. And he says there, I am afraid of the Jews, the same Jews who had been saying, don't surrender, don't surrender, or the ones that have jumped ship and become traitors and are going to uh, do what is best for them. And look what he says there at the end of verse 19. He was afraid... Of what? That they would abuse him. He was afraid of the physical harm that would come to him. But don't miss this. He wasn't worried at all about the physical harm that had happened to Jeremiah. Not a bit. 
And I think it's interesting because when he tells Zedekiah what he's afraid of, right? If I'm Jeremiah, I'm like, well, fine, be that way. If you want to be a security cat, live with it. But right after he tells Jeremiah what he's afraid of, why he won't do it, Jeremiah, what? Pleads with him again, right? God is long-suffering. And I think it's a beautiful picture here that judgment was coming. Everything was falling apart, but yet Jeremiah still has a heart and love for these people. If I was Jeremiah, I'd have said, God, just burn them up. They've got it coming. They threw me in a pit, locked me in the stocks. <laughs> these people won't listen to anything. But I think it is a wonderful picture of no matter how someone treats us, we are to respond in a loving desire to see people saved. No matter how many times they try to shut the church down because of our beliefs on what the Bible says, we continue to love and preach the gospel. No matter how many times someone persecutes you at work, you continue to love and pray for them to be saved. No matter how many times your spouse fails you, you continue to love and pray for them. No matter how far your children wander and become prodigals, you pray that they return and that you have the heart of who in that story? The father, not the older brother. And so we see here, though, that the fear of men keeps him from obeying God, but that doesn't stop God from offering forgiveness, offering deliverance. And so the last thing I want to show you, and I'll try to go through this quickly. It is possible to honor the request of those over us and God. It is possible to honor the request of those over us and God. Because look what it says here in verses 24 through 28. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, Let no one know of these words, and you shall not die. But if the princes hear that I have talked with you, and they come to you and say to you, Declare to us now what you have said to the king, and also what the king said to you, do not hide it from us, and we will not put you to death. Then you shall say to them, I presented my request before the king, that he would not make me return to Jonathan's house to die there. Then all the princes came to Jeremiah and asked him, and he told them according to all these words that the king had commanded. So they stopped speaking with him, for the conversation had not been heard. Now Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken. And he was there when Jerusalem was taken. And so whatever Jeremiah um, told the king, the king said, don't tell them my response. Apparently from what we can gather here. And so when they came, they were worried about what Jeremiah said, but they were more worried that the king was going to sell them out. They were worried that Jeremiah had gotten to the king, that the king finally believed Jeremiah's. And these people did not want surrender. They still believed that they could fight their way to victory. And Jeremiah tells them the same thing that he told the king but he honored the king's request not to share his response. And you say, Jake, the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. That's absolutely true. But what you can also do is not self-destruct. 
Not everything that you know needs to be said. And I wish I would have learned this about 10 years ago when I first started here. Because when I first started here, if I was walking through town and someone said, well, so-and-so said this about you, Jake, my response would have been, well, let me tell you how so-and-so really is. And I'd have just told them the truth, absolutely. But it was, should have never been said. And now, 10 years later, it happens all the time. Well, Jake, so-and-so has said this about the church, and so-and-so has said this about the personnel committee, so-and-so has said this about the deacons, and so-and-so. And I just say, well, all you can do is pray for them. But everything in me wants to get up on top of my car, let someone drive me through town, and shout what I really know. Now, there's a time for that, right? One thing we do here at churches, we try to never share personal information, all right? That's one thing we try not to do. Um, uh, Bill's a deacon here. He's in deacons meeting all the time. And we talk about a lot of stuff. And we make a lot of decisions based on the information we have. And most of you will never know that information. And this is the reason. One of these days, it might be you we're talking about in that room. And we would never want it to get out that we're sitting around sharing the details of your failures and my failures, right? And so what we see here is he does what the king wanted, but yet he also honored God. And there will be times in your life when you can speak the truth and the love and not have to self-destruct. There are times when you can talk to people about the things of God, the things that are going on in their life, but not throw a grenade into the middle of the china shop, right? Have you ever heard the analogy, a bull and a... That's how most people operate. They say things, they do things, they don't care about the results, they don't care about the fallout, but yet Jeremiah recognized something. And I want you to hear this, and this is what I believe. You can disagree with me all that you want. It does not bother me one bit. You can be wrong in the same car you came in, okay? <laughs> but I believe that Jeremiah still had hope that Zedekiah would surrender. And if Jeremiah betrayed Zedekiah and threw him under the bus, he would have lost every opportunity to ever speak to him again. I love preaching to God's people who agree with me, right? I love to get fired up and to preach about topics that we can all amen, which you people don't amen near enough, just so you know, all right? But I won't make you amen. I'm not going to bring the bell back for you who were here a long time ago. Um, but there have been times when I've walked off the stage and thought, you know what? If there was anybody in that sanctuary that was struggling with that issue, I have lost the right to talk to them about it. Not because of what the Bible said, but because of the smart comment I made after it. And so many times I've said that in personal conversations, right? Have you ever said something... And you've been, here's one for you. You've been talking about somebody. And at the end of the conversation, they say, hey, did you know I'm related to them? And you went, oh. <laughs> because in Hamilton County, the, the family tree looks like a light pole, doesn't it? You know, it doesn't have a lot of branches. Yeah. Yeah. And we all can do it. Yeah. We call it prayer requests in Baptist churches. It's prayer requests. But how many times, right, have you... Maybe, and for me, as you know, 
My tongue operates much faster than my brain. And uh, here recently, someone had asked me about a a political question, and I was ranting and raving about, uh, I was ranting and raving about taxes and and spending money on things we shouldn't and, you know, different jobs, and then I didn't think they worked very hard. Someone said, well, I'm like the seventh generation state employee, and I was like, wow, that's wonderful. Does doesn't change what I feel, but I would have probably done it in a little more tactful way. You know. uh, it's hard to extinguish that fuse once it's It is. It is. But I really do believe that Jeremiah did not compromise here the message. I don't believe that Jeremiah sold out for a moment, but I believe that he honored that request that was made. And as a Christian, we ought to honor requests that don't go against the Word of God. If someone asks us to pray for them in private, it should go no farther. If someone tells you a sin they're struggling with in private, it's as far as it should go. If somebody is, is whatever it is, I think we ought to honor that. That We don't stop telling them the truth. We don't stop preaching the gospel. But we honor the relationship that we have with people because we never know how God might use that relationship down the road. And so it is possible to honor the request of those over us and God.